Well, I grew up in Cedar Falls, Iowa, and I uh, attended Holmes Junior High School. And these were some of my glory days there at Holmes Junior High, uh, especially when we had a big game that was uh, being played, especially if we were playing our crosstown rivals, Pete Junior High. We hated Pete Junior High. In our minds, they were evil. They were bent on world domination by sadistic means. They must be defeated for good to reign on earth. And that was our job at Holmes Junior High. And one of the things that we would do, and I'm not even sure if schools still do this, but we would have, especially when we were playing Pete, we would have a, a big pep rally. Do they still do pep rallies, young people? Yeah, okay. Just people nodding their heads with gray hair, strangely. Uh, but uh, we would have a pep rally, and at the pep rally, uh, the, there would be cheerleaders who would get the rabble going, and uh, we would, you know, be led in cheers. Some of these cheers were chants, which by eighth grade we all knew by heart and would scream at the top of our lungs. And one of our favorites was a contest, actually, between two sides of the gym. And the one side of the gym would say, we got spirit, yes we do, we got spirit, how about you? And then the other side would take it as a challenge and say, no, we got spirit, yes we do, we got spirit, how about you? And then the other side would need to say it louder than the first side did, and this was sort of this uh, increasing volume contest until one side would break out in, we got the most, we got the most, and everyone would join in and and uh, you know the principal would get on the mic and urge everyone to attend the big important game. A teacher would get a pie in the face. Uh, you know the students were happy to be there for no other reason to get out of a class to go to pep rally. These were great moments in my life. And yet, what would happen all too often would be the evil forces of Pete Junior High would overwhelm the forces of good at Holmes Junior High and the wicked would reign until basketball season when we had another chance to take them out. Sound familiar to anybody here? I don't know if this is a shared experience that uh, maybe you had growing up. Even maybe the chant in the cheer regarding spirit. And we talk about spirit, we often talk about team spirit, school spirit, we might even describe somebody as a free spirit. And what we mean by the term spirit is typically something about uh, enthusiasm or attitude. We might even use it religiously to describe an inward longing. I have this spiritual longing for something that is not satisfied. We might describe ourselves as spiritual beings. We mean by that the immaterial aspect to who we are. We were more than just bodies. And so we, we use the term spirit in many different ways, and oftentimes it's kind of vague, and it is subjective, and it is often impersonal. Today, Jesus 
from the upper room introduces us to a spiritual person whose name is the Holy Spirit. And I would like for all of us to please dismiss out of our minds any sort of junior high understanding of spirit. We are talking today about the divine Holy Spirit. If there is a member of the Godhead that Protestant evangelical Christians overlook or maybe are even somehow unaware and certainly under worship, it is the third member of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. And this is a, uh, a theological tragedy. It is a gospel tragedy because were it not for the Holy Spirit, my dear friends, we would all be going to hell. We need the work of the Holy Spirit. And the Bible says that the Holy Spirit indwells every Christian. And, you know, kids try to understand how can God have an apartment in my heart? I don't understand it. And as you get older, you realize it's not that sense of it. But what it does mean is that the presence of God, God that it is God in us, that the Holy Spirit is with us every day, all the time. Imagine having a person with you every moment and you are unaware of it. Don't even think about it. I think our, our understanding of the Holy Spirit would take a massive step forward if we all collectively realize that when we're talking about the Holy Spirit, we are talking about a person. Okay? He, he is not a, a force like Buddhism or Star Wars. He is a he. He is not an it. He is a person with a personality, and he relates to us personally. He is a being, and a very important one at that, as the third member of the Holy Trinity. And so today, what I hope to do is to bring every single Christian here and online into an increased awareness of the Holy Spirit, and hopefully an increased worship and appreciation of him this week. The Holy Spirit is a major theme in the upper room. In fact, in some ways you could argue he is the theme of the, of the upper room because most of the upper room is Jesus trying to convince the disciples that it's okay that he's gonna leave because somebody else is coming. And that somebody is the Holy Spirit. And that coming is Jesus' number one comfort to the disciples. And with that said, let's get into our text today. We're in John 14. I'm going to begin reading in verse 15, and we're going to actually take two different sections in the chapter. 14, verse 15. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. We can stop right there and go, wow, I must not love Jesus then, because on my own, I'm not very good at keeping those commandments. Well, now he explains. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Now look at verse 25, a few verses later. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you, but the helper, 
the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. All right, today I have seven things that the text here teaches us about the Holy Spirit. Each of these, I hope, inclines your heart to greater appreciation and worship of the Holy Spirit. I'm gonna just walk through the seven. Here's the first one. Jesus says that he was sent by God the Father, this is the Holy Spirit, at the prayer request of Jesus. Looking in verse 14, and I will ask the Father, there you have it, I, Jesus, will ask God the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Now here we have a glimpse into the inner Trinitarian communication. Those are some big words, I know. But as we think about the Godhead, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, do you realize they talk to each other? Okay, They communicate with one another. And Jesus here says that he is going to talk to God the Father and request that he send to earth, and specifically to the disciples and the church, the Holy Spirit. He prays to the Father that God would do that. We could spend some time talking about the intercessory work of Jesus. By the way, did you know that right now he is praying to the Father for you? Jesus intercedes for us. An amazing truth, but we're talking about the Holy Spirit here today, so I'm moving on, okay? He says here, I will pray that the Father will send another helper to you. So, Jesus ascends to heaven. He says to the Father, please send the Holy Spirit. The Father sends the Spirit. The Spirit comes. Now, who sent Jesus? This is not a trick question. Who sent Jesus? God the Father sent Jesus. Who sent the Holy Spirit? God the Father sent the Holy Spirit. All of these, both of these, come from the Father. James 1, every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father. And the two best gifts that we have ever gotten was the first gift that the Father gave to us, which was Jesus, and the second gift which the Father gave to us, which was the Holy Spirit. Now, here we are, I happen to be preaching this text in a time where if you go to the store and you go to, you know, around, you be, we're beginning to see decorations going up as we are, our society begins to celebrate the Father sending Jesus, Christmas. Some of you probably are early Christmas decorators. You know who you are. I happen to live with an early Christmas decorator. When I was single, I didn't decorate at all. Like I had one Charlie Brown Christmas tree. It was about this tall, and I put it in the window on a stand to make it look big in the, you know, people driving by. He is a pastor after all. He should be celebrating Christmas. I would have that one tree. That's all that I did. Jennifer, though, this is now an occasion for early Christmas celebration. So our tree's up, and it's all doing its thing. I read somebody, they, they suggested that the early winter that we are now blessed to be experiencing uh, is actually caused by early Christmas decorators. I have no verse to support that at all in the Bible. It's just a theory. But when you think about how Christmas and the songs and the celebrating and think of what probably you and your family are, you know, you've been planning Christmas, working on Christmas, thinking about Christmas. My girl's been thinking about it for like 10 months already, you know, the Christmas list. Christmas, Jesus came, the Father sent him. 
Okay, now, what do you do to celebrate the Father sending the Holy Spirit in your home? And I'm going to guess the answer is nothing. Nothing. There isn't one sparkly anything going up in your house. And I'm going to guess many of us don't even think about it. And yet, the Father sent the Son, we call it Christmas, the Father sent the Spirit, we call it the day of Pentecost, Jesus gets all the attention, the Holy Spirit's coming, gets nearly nothing at all. Now, I'm not saying this because I'm, you know, I'm, I'm saying we should have a holiday, but the Bible doesn't even tell us to celebrate the coming of Jesus, which is sacrilegious to say right now, I'm for Christmas, don't get me wrong. But the Bible doesn't say it's sort of a hallmark Christian holiday, there's no verse for it. But if we're going to celebrate the one, we probably should celebrate the other, don't you think? If we view the Holy Spirit as being important, his coming, one of the great gifts of our life. And it kind of gets a, a bit of the point that I'm making today, which is that the third person of the Trinity all too often is the unknown and the unconsidered gift from the Father, there's a book out, a popular book written on the Holy Spirit. The title is Forgotten God. And I think that's actually, to my eye, fairly true. We, all the songs about Jesus, rightly so, right? I speak Jesus. We sang that today. But we should also speak Holy Spirit. And in fact, Jesus is going to say, it's better to have the Holy Spirit than to have me. Now we'll get into that. Okay, we'll get into that. That'll just blow your mind right there. Without the presence of the Holy Spirit, you realize Jesus could die for your sins every single day, and you're still going to hell because there is no way for his death to be applied to you or for you to spiritually have faith in it anyway. All of that is the Holy Spirit's work. And so any genuine Christian who gets that is going to be like, I am super thankful for the Holy Spirit. And that's where I'm hoping our hearts go as we talk. Number two, the Holy Spirit is our helper, okay, is our helper. Verse 16 again, and I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Now, if you're a smarty pants or if you've been around church very long, some of you right now are whispering, you know, to your, to your person next to you, your spouse, or whoever going, you're saying, paraclete. It's the word paraclete. And you're right. It's the Greek word paraclete. And there's a few, you know, koinonia, there's a few Greek words, agape, that if you just go to church for a long time, you kind of pick up a few Greek words. Paraclete's probably one of them. And that is the Greek word that we have here that is translated in the ESV Helper, okay, helper. And in spite of the fact that we kind of know this Greek word, or many people do, it is actually a very difficult one, nearly impossible to translate. ESV goes with helper. There's other examples of this. Um, technically, the etymology, okay, etymology is just like the word itself. 
Para is alongside. Cleat is to call. And so it is the one who is called alongside. Okay? And so it has, the word can mean, it's got a huge range of meaning to it. Encouragement, helper, somebody to bless you, etc. And the problem is that it's so wide, they don't know how to translate it. In fact, I read that many scholars, they just, you know, they just say, let's just not translate it and just say paraclete, okay? ESV goes with helper. But this is some of the challenges in, in Bible translation where a word has what it means etymology, but it doesn't necessarily tell us what it means broadly. So, for example, my name is Steve or Stephen. That means crowned one. So a 1,000 years from now, they could, you know, archaeologically dig this location. They found, oh, there was a guy named Steve that led. He must have worn a crown. And I do occasionally, actually, <laughs> at Burger King with my daughters. But that's about it, okay? So as an example of how this isn't necessarily super easy to, to figure out, but I do think that broadly speaking, Jesus is saying there's somebody who's coming here and they are coming to assist you. They are coming to help you. And his coming is going to be a blessing to you. It is going to be a good Thing. And as I said earlier, later on here, he is going to tell the disciples, it is good that I leave you because then the Holy Spirit can come to you. Jesus is saying it's better for you to have the Holy Spirit than to have me. Now, I wonder how many of us, if we, could, if we had a choice on a given day, you can either spend the day with Jesus or you can spend the day with the Holy Spirit would say, I want to spend the day with the Holy Spirit. Because we spend every day with the Holy Spirit. Okay? Now personally, I'd love to spend the day with both of them, and that's where my vote would go. But you see that Jesus has a very high view of the Holy Spirit and what it means for the Holy Spirit to come and to dwell within his people. Helper. Number three. Notice that it says another helper. See the text? And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. How about just a little bit more Greek? Can I do that just for a moment? I don't do this a lot, but it helps right here. A little bit more Greek here. Um, and then uh, Greek can be a salad dressing for you this week. In the Greek, there are two different ways to say another. There's the kind of another that is another of a different kind, and there is a different kind of another that is another of the same kind. So for example, when my girls were little, we would feed them baby food. And if we fed them peas, mashed peas, which to this day I can smell it in my nostrils, they would do this, you know. No, I don't, I don't want any. But if we fed them something sweet, even, even young, they knew the word more, more. And what they mean by that is not, I want more to eat just baby food generally, maybe peas. What, he, what they meant is, I want more of the same kind of sweet stuff. Another like the one before. And that is what this another means here it is not somebody totally different 
It is another helper like the one you already have, which leads to the question, who is the one that they already have? And the third grade Sunday school class would all answer, Jesus, right? And that is the right answer. The fact that Jesus is also a paraclete. In fact, John writes 1 John, letter, the letters of John, and in 1 John, he uses the same word and he applies it to Jesus himself. So Jesus is also a paraclete, and he is the first one. The Holy Spirit is the second. He is very much the same as the first one, and we should be thankful that he is. Number four, the Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth. Verse 16 again, we're just ringing this verse out for all we can. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the spirit, notice, of truth. So one of the qualities of the Holy Spirit is that he is, remember Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. He just said that a few verses before, that Jesus is the truth. But here we come to find out that the Holy Spirit is also the spirit of truth, and we know this is because God is a God of truth. So every, we say the Father of truth, the Son of truth, the Spirit of truth, they are the truth. But when it comes to the Holy Spirit, one of the unique things that the Holy Spirit does is the illuminating it's called the illuminating work of the Holy Spirit. And that's a, one of the easiest theological terms because it really tells you what, it, what he does. He, when it comes to truth, he turns the light on in our hearts. He helps us to understand, to comprehend. I hope right now, even as I'm talking, that the Holy Spirit is taking the blah, 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 blah of that I'm saying and somehow in your heart is doing a work for you to apprehend what is divine revelation and to apply it to your life? It is the illuminating work of the Holy Spirit. He is the spirit of truth. Now, it's much more than illumination. Just to give you a few other things here. The Bible says that the Holy Spirit with respect to truth is the inspirer of divine truth. The inspiration of the Holy Spirit by the Holy Spirit where by these authors of the Bible were so guided by the Holy Spirit that what they wrote was the words they wrote, but what they wrote was exactly what God wanted them to write. It's one of our most precious truths is that this book that we have is truly the word of God. Paul says to Timothy that it is God-breathed, that it was out from God such that now we have the very written word of God. It is inspired by God, and that was a work of the Holy Spirit. Are you glad to have the word of God? You should thank the Holy Spirit for it. Inspiration. How about this one? Regeneration. Regeneration is a work of the Holy Spirit, whereby... Those that are spiritually dead by the power of God through the Holy Spirit, they are, in a sense, spiritually resurrected. They are made alive. Jesus said in John 3, they are born again. That we come alive by the Spirit through faith in Jesus Christ, and we are alive forever and ever, time without end. 
It is life eternal. Are you glad to be born again today? You should thank the Holy Spirit. And then we have this illumination, as I've already mentioned, where the Holy Spirit takes the word of God, turns the light on in the heart and the soul, and I understand what the Bible is teaching and how it applies to my life. I could spend more time on that, but you should pray every Sunday. God, illuminate your word to my soul today. Holy Spirit, my heart's open. Please do your good work. Are you glad that you understand God's word today? You should thank the Holy Spirit. J.I. Packer describes the work of the Holy Spirit. I may, I may draw on this later in the series because I think it's just such a wonderful illustration. He calls the, the role of the Holy Spirit is the floodlight ministry. Okay, a floodlight ministry. The purpose of a floodlight is to illuminate something else. So if you drive by our Crown Point campus at nighttime, we've got floodlights around the facility and uh, you, you would see those floodlights illuminating the building. When people drive by and they look off Broadway and they see this, how many of them go, oh look, floodlights? No. You don't think about the floodlight. The floodlight is illuminating something else. We hope that they are saying, hey, there's a, build, there's a church we should go check out. And maybe you're here today because of that. I don't know. But it gets at the point that the role, the purpose of the Holy Spirit's illumination is to focus light upon Jesus Christ and the gospel. His divine human person, Jesus this is, his saving work for us on the cross, his accomplishment of our redemption. The Holy Spirit is using the word of God, the gospel of God, in the hearts of the people of God to focus, to shine light, to illuminate, to glorify the person and the work of Jesus Christ. He is a floodlight ministry. Are you thankful for the Holy Spirit today? You should thank him for his illuminating work. Number five. He is anonymous to the world. Verse 17. Even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. The Holy Spirit is the presence of God on earth. And yet, eight, oh, we just crossed 8 billion people on earth this week, I read. Eight billion people, most of whom, their lives hum along just, you know, the way they do here on earth. They are largely unaware of the presence of God throughout their day. This reminds me, uh, this week I talked with a friend who went through the massive hurricane in Florida a month or so ago. It was his first time uh, going through that, and... He said we were newbies. We didn't realize that we needed an AM radio. He said the power went out. The cell towers all went out. And there we were in our house. We had no idea what was going on. We had no way of knowing anything that was going on, uh, you know, in the community. 
how bad it was or anything else. There we were. So there they were. The, the AM wave radio waves were all around them, but they were unable to receive it. This is an illustration of the Holy Spirit who is everywhere all the time. His presence fills this earth, and yet many people do not have the receiver needed to understand what he is doing and what he is saying, like AM radio signals. What do they need? They need an AM receiver. And prior to salvation, none of us can, but in salvation, the Holy Spirit does his work in us, and we are made spiritually alive. We, we get an AM, a spiritual AM receiver where now we are getting communication by the Holy Spirit. Is your antenna up today? Are you listening? Number six, he is the indwelling presence of God. Verse 17, you know him for he dwells with you and will be in you, in you. This is one of the most wonderful aspects of the Holy Spirit. I don't think about this as much as I should. I'm gonna guess most of you probably do not as well. But the Bible says that when a sinner receives Jesus as their savior, that not only does the Spirit of God make us alive, the Spirit of God comes and spiritually dwells within us. Ezekiel 36 prophesied this, and I will put my spirit within you, this is Old Testament, and cause you to walk in my statues and be careful to obey my rules. Now we get to the New Testament. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 6, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you? And be careful, or uh, within you, whom you have from God, you are not your own. 2 Corinthians 6 what agreement has the temple of God with idols? He's basically saying every one of us is, in a sense, the tabernacle, the, tw- the temple of God. For we are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And Jesus says, the Holy Spirit comes, dwells within us, and will be with us forever. How is that? He is in us and dwelling with us by the Spirit of God. So if you are a Christian here today, you did not come to the temple, you brought the temple with you. You did not come to meet the Holy Spirit in this place, you brought the Holy Spirit with you. He dwells within you, and you say to yourself, well, what's he doing in there exactly? Well, I'll tell you some things he's doing in there. The Bible says that he is there to convict us of sin. He works with our conscience to bring awareness of when we have stepped out of God's will. How do you respond when you feel conviction? The Spirit of God is working in you. He is there to sanctify us, to make us holy. The Father wants us to be like Christ. and He doesn't just say, okay, go figure it out. He sends the Spirit of God who is actively working within us to polish off what doesn't look like Jesus, and to strengthen what does. The Bible says that the Holy Spirit is there also to bear fruit through us. Have you heard of the fruit of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, etc. 
These are all byproducts of somebody's life who has, is led by the Spirit. Paul talks about keeping step with the Spirit. These are all aspects of what it means to be in a submission to the Holy Spirit and the leadership of the Holy Spirit. When we do that, it looks like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. So sometimes people say, oh, he's such a Spirit-led Christian. Well, how do you know that? You know that because you see the fruit of the Spirit in his or her life. Would somebody say, I, th- I think maybe I, s- I sense the Spirit at work in you. How's that fruit going? By the way, side note, memorize that list. It's a great one in prayer. In the morning to say, you know, Holy Spirit, please bear these fruits in my life today. Love, joy, peace, patience. It's a good one. It reminds you of what God is wanting to do in your life. Now we talk like this, and the skeptic here would maybe say, so you're saying you think God's in you? Does that mean you think you're a God? No, I am not a God. But God dwells within me. Oh, really? Have you ever seen him? Nope. Have you ever heard him? Audibly? Nope. Well, how do you know the Spirit of God's in you? And they will deny it because it can't be seen, just like the world can't see him. And when we think about the Holy Spirit, I I think that this is Jesus' analogy with Nicodemus in John 3. He says that the work of God is like the wind. Here's a good analogy. Jesus used it. If you think about the wind, are we familiar with wind in northwest Indiana? Probably. Did you see the sideways snow this week? You say, oh, look at the wind. You realize you've never seen the wind. You can't see wind. Even a tornado, if there wasn't a trailer to pick up, you wouldn't know that that there was a tornado there or dirt or dust. We only see the wind because we see the effect of the wind. We see what it's doing, the leaves that it's moving, the snow that's, that's sideways. We never see the wind, and yet we can't deny the wind, can we? And similarly, we don't see the Holy Spirit, but we see his effect. And we ought to see his effect in our life. This is the miracle of new birth. This is transformation by the Spirit into the likeness of Jesus Christ. He is the indwelling presence of God. Which leads to number seven. And number seven is just a summary statement that the Holy Spirit is God's empowering presence in us and with us. And this explains the little verse I skipped, verse 15. Jesus says this, before he talks about the Holy Spirit, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Now that is a discouraging verse. Because, if we all were honest, we all too often do not keep his commandments. Does that mean that I don't love Jesus? I don't feel like I've got what it takes to obey Jesus' commandments. You read in the Old Testament, the the story of Israel is basically, here's the command of God, and the rest of the story is how Israel broke them all. Never could fulfill them in the end. But as we saw in Ezekiel, God said, there's coming a day when I'm going to send my spirit who will dwell within you. And by dwelling within you in the, the seat of your desires, Now there will be a capacity for you to actually obey me 
and to please me, to obey his command and to please him. And we see in Acts that at Pentecost, the Father answers the prayer of the Son and sends the Holy Spirit. And this begins a whole new era of faith in Jesus Christ that brings God to us, with us, and in us. And because God is in us, now we have the ability by the power of God and the grace of God to obey Jesus' commands. William Temple illustrated this point this way using Shakespeare. Bear with me, okay? Bear with me. Shakespeare, he says this. It is no good giving me a play like Hamlet or King Lear and telling me to write a play like that. Shakespeare could do it. I can't. And we all say to that, amen. And so it's no good showing me a life like the life of Jesus and telling me to live a life like that. Jesus could do it. I can't. But if the genius of Shakespeare could come and live in me, then I could write plays like this. And if the Spirit could come into me, then I could live a life like his. The end goal here, friends, of the Spirit's presence is to conform our lives to the likeness of Jesus Christ, that perfect, holy life that Jesus lived. And by ourselves, we can't do it. It's so frustrating. If only God would come to us and empower us, wow, then we would be able to obey God. And that is exactly why the Spirit of God is dwelling in you, Christian. His empowering presence, think of it, it is God in us. Are you thankful for the Holy Spirit? I would say all Christians must be, and I'm urging you to take that thanksgiving and turn it into worship of God the Holy Spirit, because when it comes to the Spirit, we got the most. Amen.